But we will give you a a night out on Lilo. On On Lilo. Lilo. Which, which for me, is an added incentive because, honestly, I want this meal. I want this fancy meal. I'm I'm going to take it. Burst your bubble, but Lilo has massive debts with some pretty shady (laughs) people. If you go out for a night out with Lilo... You're in danger. Is a, a beating by some local loan shark. <laughs> I gotta tell you, steer clear of this shady character. I don't know why you bring him back every week. Oh my god, you're speaking turds, bro. Oh wait, look, I, I can't friend. verify or can. Yeah, I can't deny or confirm any of that stuff. I'm a loan when shark, and talk. I can tell you, that guy owes me serious money. But look, this has been uh, Past the Ox for another week. My name is Dan Eight Man. We are Camo holding K-Mo? down. Camo. Okay. Good evening, good evening, beautiful people of Brisbane, and even you butt ugly ones. Yes, welcome to Talking Dressage. We in the house. Chris, he's got a great haircut. I cannot wait to vividly describe to you Chris's great haircut. By the time you reveal that all these assets are on loan and the only thing you own is the second-hand condom that you wear at all times just in case someone gives you a, uh, a friendly glance in a supermarket aisle, that's the only answer to your name. By the time you re- re- reveal that to your partner, yeah, they're already your partner. That's it. They're already your partner. So welcome to Talking Dressage. If you, honestly, you follow my t- 12-step plan to finding a girl within seven years, trust me, if you follow the 12 steps, you will get a girl within seven years. And if you don't get a girl within seven years, try and find me in seven years' time. Honestly, I will be nowhere near here. You will not be able to find a contact number anywhere people you will ask random people around brisbane hey have you seen harry lee harry lee god damn it i lent that guy fifteen hundred dollars last year hey he stole my girlfriend he said he was just gonna help her take the bins out i've been seeing her since 1997 that's harry lee the enigma the man the myth the host of the very radio show you're listening to but it's not about me tonight in fact so, I've got a very special episode tonight because I've got a, a mate of mine who is, of course, in lockdown. He's moved up from Melbourne, okay? So, this is an interview with me and my mate Noel said from his lockdown, his isolation chamber. He is a hashtag pandemic prisoner. And uh, um, thank you. Thank you very kindly. Oh, that's a dial. Noel? Noel, please pick up. Please pick up. Hello, Noel speaking. Hello, Harry speaking. How are you? Are you you're not like recording or anything, are you? Yeah, we can start it again. We can we can redo the whole hello part if you weren't happy with the hello. I I was pretty happy with my hello, but yours sort of lacked um, the surprise and sheer enthusiasm to, to hear me. <laughs> what surprise? I thought you were like red red cross or something again. Uh, <laughs> checking up on me. Yes. I thought I, I gave you advice years ago to carry a wooden paddle at all times in case you were approached by um, Street hawkers from the Red Cross or UNICEF. <laughs> I actually, my, my best piece of, piece of advice, and if you had to write one thing down tonight, write this, is to carry a fly swatter at all times. And I know you're saying, Harry, it's winter, there's no flies and mosquitoes around as, as much at the moment. But if, if there's a street hawker coming up to you saying, oh, look at this, you know, this sad African child, if you just hit them with a fly swatter, there's sufficient ambiguity to say, oh, no, I was swatting away a fly. I didn't mean to hit this lovely street hawker who I was very interested in uh, purchasing the product from. <laughs> so what happens when um, you're stuck in a, in a room, a hotel room for two weeks? Do you need a fly swatter? Well, I'll tell you what. You, you know, 
<laughs> you know the isolation has really gone to your head when you're starting to miss street hawkers from charities in the, in the CBD street. Oh, what I would do for someone to beg me for money. Yes. Well, <laughs> here I am. <laughs> no, I think I owe you, actually, for the um, the bob roll and, hot, and uh, dark chocolate. Have you, enjoyed, be... have you enjoyed the bob roll? <laughs> I, Harry, I'm going to be honest. I, I, did, I did try it, of course. Yes. Um, Thank you. It is. It's liquid Vegemite. I even told my dad about it. And he's like, he laughed for for a good thirty seconds, and he's like, "Oh, that reminds me back in his childhood." Harry, he was. Like, Is he South African? Much... <laughs> no, no. He was. He grew up in poverty. <laughs> right. Is that? So, I think that is how uh, poor people know. get their vitamins. That's what. That's what I yeah, was doing correct. for you. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. That's true. Love it. I can. I, I can give it back, right? It's. You know, some, sometimes things are good, but but also bad. Like. You, you win a Steve Buscemi lookalike contest and you get a $10 JB Hi-Fi voucher, but then you realise, hey, wait a minute, you're saying I look like Steve Buscemi? What, what if you had a, a friend who was such a good friend that they visited you your your hotel where you were holed up in isolation, but they just kept dropping off Bovril and nothing else? Uh, it, would be, it would be... Look, you can store it away, but it would come to a point because as soon as you open the jar, it smells up the whole room. So that's the, that's the issue, Harry, I had, is that I, I can't do anything that smells. No. Because it... <laughs> <laughs> There's no gold standard anymore. Our currencies are not pegged against anything. You need assets. I'm offering you countless jars of Bovril. You, you can actually measure your wealth against something. You can peg it back. You can say $1 at the moment is worth about a quarter of a jar of Bovril. You have something like quantifiable here. That's what I'm... I'm saying this is an alternative to Bitcoin. It's... And you and it's edible. <laughs> I don't know who would, who would take it off my hands. I don't know where you're getting that exchange from because um, I'm surprised they even make it, to be honest. I did try it. Though. And I wanted your... Cu- and I specifically gave you this bovril because I wanted your currency, I wanted your wealth to be pegged against a standard. And that standard was the bovril standard. We had the opportunity to create a new currency uh, that was, you know, not susceptible to the whims of, of, of intangible market forces. We, we you, When you opened that jar, what, what you smelt was initially something yeasty and perhaps something a little bit like beef stock. But what you actually looked into was the future. And unlike Bitcoin, Noel, when it collapses, you're not left with nothing. It collapses. Okay, I'll say it might collapse. But then you don't go, ah, oh, got nothing. The wife and kids have left me because I can't pay for kindergarten anymore. But I've still got my bovril. And then you heat up some boiling water, put a teaspoon of that in there. And I'll tell you what, now, you look me in the eye and tell me to this straight. Tell me this with a straight face. When you... Where are you? When, uh, over here. <laughs> no, over here. Thank you. Um, when you had that glass of bovril and that hot water, were you thinking about anything else? Were you thinking about any of your troubles and romance and finance and career? Or were you just thinking about how disgusting that glass of bovril was? <laughs> That's true. It, it brought me into that moment. All, your, you all your troubles go away. <laughs> yeah, there's nothing takes precedent. It takes the number one problem in my life as I'm, as I'm sipping it. You're right. Yes. <laughs> oh, Harry, I do have a story for you today, though. I ordered $40 worth of sushi yes. uh, at Uber Eats, and the person who had to deliver it to my front door was the Queensland police. <laughs> so I had Queensland police deliver me sushi. 
Oh, that's a... Like, not many people can say that. They're inspecting, like, deliveries. I think you've had a few complaints. I've, I think you've had a few complaints. <laughs> Are you, he hands it to me. This guy know, keeps coming out naked to collect his food, covered in his own human feces. I, I actually, I had a snap moment. I yelled out. I was like, "Where is the soy sauce?" And I was like, "Oh, sorry, it's not your fault." Um, so I did. I did you, get so a little bit annoyed. There was enough soy sauce. That, but, that, um, so it, give, it gave you the unique opportunity to complain to a police officer <laughs> about a lack of soy sauce in your sushi. <laughs> Excuse yeah. me, constable. I ordered three wasabi's, and there's only two here. <laughs> You're a prisoner. You, you, you know, you shouldn't be laughing. Yeah, I, I think animals get used to the cage, Harry. Okay. Um, they also, yeah, they, they also shit everywhere. And yeah, that's true. Oh well, that's what I do. And I start pecking at their own. They start pecking at their own reflection in the mirror. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have. I actually have been drawn to the reflection because I think the reflections are important because they. It's like that's the only way of you seeing like someone else. Yeah. And so it, it reminds you of like what you like that there's you're there and there's other people there and there's like I don't know, it's just it's a weird feeling. But Harry, the room's getting bigger. That's what's happening. It feels like it's getting bigger. You can put a funny hat on and then look in the mirror and pretend it's someone else. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Change voice. There's heaps of things that you can do. I mean, that's just the start of them, Harry. Um, I am sorry to interrupt you this evening from staring at it, staring at your reflection in the mirror and counting down the days until the 2021 Tokyo Olympics, scratching on an, a Roman numeral on the wall. <laughs> oh, yeah. Only 347 yeah, days to the Tokyo Olympics. <laughs> but it's actually not bad. I mean, I, I would say that you can legally say that you have been to prison before, and that will come in handy. For example, when you're you're meeting uh, your your son-in-law for the first time, shaking his hand, and then launching into a story. <laughs> Yeah, basically, when I was in prison, and then he's sitting there going, shit, do not cheat on Noel's daughter. Do not cheat on Noel's daughter. You know what I mean? And oh, even when you're bargaining on Gumtree, and, and, the, and, the, and the bloke's saying, sorry, Noel, $35 is my lowest price for this xylophone. You know, sure you can't accept 30 Anyway, I'll tell you a story about when I was in prison. And, you know, you, you'll, get the xylo, you'll get the xylo for 30 Don't you worry about that, mate, you know? Who haggles down people for Gumtree? Do you, do you think these people have, have, have approached... CBRE for a professional valuation on their freaking xylophone. They have no idea how much it's worth. It might be worth seven hundred, or it might be worth thirty, and they're listening at thirty-five. I've got an, I've got an excellent joke for you. A, a man who works at Bunnings told me this one. Um, he, an, an old man is sitting on a park bench crying. Another man walks up to the old man and says, "Hey, man, what's wrong?" The old man crying says, oh, "I just got married." And the other man says, hey, man, that's awesome. What are you crying for? Oh, I'm 70 years old and she's only 25. And the man says, mate, why can you be upset? Well, that's awesome. She's young and beautiful and you're, you're old. That's great. He says, no, she wants to do it in the morning. She wants to do it at lunchtime. She wants to do it after dinner. She wants to do it three times a day every day. And then the man says, mate, she wants to do it three times a day. That's perfect. What more do you want? What are you crying for? Uh, I've forgotten where I live. <laughs> no, no, I'm going to say it. You're thinking it. Everyone at home is thinking it. When you got Dan Andrews showing up to a press conference at nine in the morning and he gets up to his lectern, he rubs his glasses, he strokes his chin and he says, I've got some very tragic news this morning. 
a man in his 90s has died? Uh, come on. Like, really? Uh, if every death is a tragedy, then we're all destined for tragedy. I think if you are taken before your time, if you have dependents, if you, if you are uh, a 40-year-old father of three and then you die, that is, a, that is a tragedy of the highest order. If, you, if someone in their 90s dies and we weren't ready for it, what are we going to be ready for in this life? What are you going to be ready for? If I knew anyone in their 90s, I should wake up prepared every day to hear that they have died. <laughs> I, it's like you, you can you can say I'm a little bit more hesitant about saying things like that but um no Harry, if I woke I up today and someone said Harry your 90 year old great grandfather is dead my response would be Christ thought he already was years ago <laughs> what if every death is a tragedy then we are all destined for tragedy isn't that sick control the weather what if we just built in what if Every city just built a roof over it. That was an indoor ski field. Oh, but, then, you control the weather? but then you wouldn't get the sunset, Harry. Then you wouldn't get the sunset. No, what if you got big, like big screens, like IMAX screens, and you put on three D glasses, and you experience you experience sunsets, even in an even more experiential way than an actual sunset. Like your chair, like rocks back and forth. Like whoa! <laughs> you can feel the heat, like a furnace, like on your face. Yes, 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 yes. You get sunburnt without actually getting so like you feel it. Like wow, it's like I'm getting sunburnt, and you, and then you, you you get out and you're all blistered up. It's like wow, it's like I really am sunburnt. It's wherever you, you lived an illusion that you thought everything was an illusion, but it wasn't an illusion. <laughs> yeah, yeah, wow, like this, this incredible 3D glasses make that sun feel really hot. It feels like I'm actually sunburnt, and it looks like I'm really sunburned. This is really good. Like it really freaking hurts. <laughs> I did have a bit of a had a bit of a cough when I went to drop off the Bovril for you at, at um at the Novotel, and I was worried they're going to throw me in with you guys. Like there's a, the boy in the striped pajamas. Hey, you got a cough? Yeah, you must be one of them. No, 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 please, I can explain. Ah, get back in your cell. Wait, you know you don't even know what we do with people like you, Harry. So it's the outsiders. Oh. Outsiders, I get eaten alive in there. All right, not only do you need more hobbies, but are you, like, okay? Because I feel like people who reread books are just waiting to die. Like, so No, that's completely true, Harry. So even re-watching a movie or re-reading book, it's never the same thing. Because you're, you're, you're watching at a different time, you feel different. One thing guaranteed. Yeah, maybe there'll be small nuances. But if you're re-reading a book, you're waiting to die. And you might as well smoke a cigarette or do cocaine in a sauna because you're just passing time waiting for your... Well, actually, you guys who have social anxiety are actually... You, you have the silver bullet. And that is the old love actually um, messages written on cards. Remember how there's the, there's the friend who films the wedding and he actually loves uh, Kieran Knightley? Oh, yes, that's right. And he, he doesn't talk to anyone. Yes, he shows up at the house and he goes, shh, don't, don't tell anyone. He, yeah, he actually... He's got social anxiety and so he writes his messages on cards. Now, that's what you can do. And, and that's actually cute. And so... Like, it'll get a little bit old when it's, like, date four and you're still rocking up with the cards and going, <laughs> I have social anxiety. <laughs> card two. Um, it's a diagnosed um, condition. Don't laugh. Uh, card three. Um, what would you like to get? Um, I've never been to this place <laughs> yeah, before. Like, Can I get this? Like, with the side of thought, like, writing it down every single time. Oh, conversations would take hours. Yes. At, le at least too, you Harry. remember them. It's like a more romantic text messaging. And then at the, at the end of the night, you can well, have one more card that says, by the way, you can keep these. And then you just give the cards to her. <laughs> she <Yeah>, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a carry this basket of cards for that. It is. <laughs>
I'm going to be hugging people at front and center. I'll tell you what, that's an unsung thing that people, we haven't stopped to think about. Whatever happened to the hashtag free hugs guy? The guy who would stand in the mall with a sign saying free hugs. No one ever stopped to think about how his... Bo- it, was a, it was a pretty average business model to begin with. He'd give him free. <laughs> but, um, yeah. No one ever stopped to think about that guy and, how, and where he is and how he's doing. And he probably needs a hug more than anyone else. If, if, you, if you got accustomed to getting like over 100 hugs each day and then all of a sudden you're getting zero, do you, would you possibly comprehend how alone and untouched you would feel? Yeah, it would, it, it would be too much because we're, we're only going from like three or four hugs to none. He's going from a hundred a day to none. Yes. Maybe he's maybe he's in the black market. Maybe he's, he's, <laughs> he's black market of hugs. <laughs> Do they call those brothels? <laughs> I had a mate the other day, he said, Harry, I'm moving to Perth. And I said, Perth, I cannot wait to visit you when you move back to Brisbane. Um, <clears throat> that's actually all I had tonight. Um, I bought um, a, th- a thumb of ginger on the weekend from a fruit market. It was a ginger, uh, it was a ginger, it was fresh ginger from the markets, nice big thumb. And I bought that and I... Uh, could not wait to tell all the boys about the route that I got on the weekend. Um, ginger. Ginger route. Um, uh, what else have we got? And I think the, the scariest thing right now about living in Australia is that a lot of decisions that affect our liberty are just getting made by a bunch of complete virgins. I mean, every time you see these chief health officers, God, they carry on like such virgins. I mean, at the, at the moment, you know, Queensland has so few cases yet, you can't have more than one visitor in hospital. My sister gave birth to a second child. Yes, I have two nephews. Great news. Can't visit. Awesome. Thanks, guys. There's nobody coronavirus cases, um, and we're all still carrying on. Tom Hanks was patient zero. He brought this into our lives. And because you know what he's realised? He's realised that if he lets out a pandemic into society, it means that we're all going to go to the cinemas um, and watch his movies. Um, he got it wrong um, a little bit, but it's still he still nonetheless started the virus. He just got it very wrong. So and at the end of the day, Tom Hanks, he's a bit of a virgin too, isn't he? Let's, let's be honest here. Um, every movie he plays, he's always like this really uh, socially anxious kind of guy. I mean, we don't need that sort of energy. If you're, trying to, if you're trying to be a man and you're going to the gym and you're eating lots of tuna fish and then you're watching a Tom Hanks film, you're just going to undo all your hard work. And then you go and watch a, a Tom Hanks film like Catch Me If You Can. And he's wearing a bloody fedora. Like, you... <laughs> You're going to completely lose your sex drive. You're going to be walking around with your penis tucked in between your legs. Um, do not watch Tom Hanks' films. These are known side effects. This is why I hate academics as well. And academics, now they are a bunch of virgins. They always come out every couple of months or so when the, when the, the news channels are a bit short on news, they'll just re-interview the same academic from UQ who says, if you charge more for beer, people will drink less. Oh, freaking flipping hell. Yeah, that's why you, ha- you, you stay at uni for 10 years in your bloody safe space so you can tell us that if something costs more money, you might be less inclined to buy it. Um, geniuses. And so what, what we can do to fight back against these virgin academics who are increasing the costs of our 
beers, by getting in politicians' ears, um, is by drinking more. Because if we drink more, then there'll be a greater demand for beer, so they'll make more. There'll be more beer. And when you make more, when you mass produce, you can sell it for a cheaper price. And so it's our way of fighting back against the academics. Um, and it's, it's what I would call a, a Mahatma Gandhi-esque sort of peaceful protest. We use our uh, financial means of um, fighting back against the academics and lowering beer prices because uh, the more beer they make, the mass produce it, they can sell it for a cheaper price. And so it's a solution to rising drink prices is to drink more. It's a bit of a wacky theory at first, uh, but, but I think you'll come around to it. And... Even if you don't come around to it, you'll just be really drunk and you'll go, I think it was a really good idea, Harry. And then you'll do a backflip off the second story of your house and miss the pool. Anyway, so I think the, the, the great art of the book is passing time. When you, you're, so you're waiting to see a doctor or something like that or you've, you've texted a girl um, who actually plans on ghosting you and you say, I'm just going to read this book while I wait for a response from her. And you've finished that book and then so you find another book and you're still sitting there, you've got to go to work, but you've said, no, I was, I'm going to read books until she replies. You get sacked from your job because you've been staying at home reading books and not going to work because you're waiting for a reply from this girl. Um, your family presume you're dead. Your family hold a funeral for you. All the while, you're just sitting at home reading books waiting for this girl to reply. Finally, seven years later, you've read half the books in Brisbane City Council Library. The girl texts you. She says, hey, you going to the party tonight? And you say, sorry, what party? And she says, sorry, wrong number. But, th- but then I uh, had a family dinner on Tuesday and I've got a second cousin who's in primary school and he had an athletics carnival that day. And he shows up and he says, oh, I got a second place ribbon. And I go, that's amazing. What was the event? He says, I don't know. I said, well, how many metres? He said, I don't know. I said, well, how long approximately were you running? Like, was it, did you run the whole way? He said, about 20 seconds. I said, okay, maybe that was the 100 metres. Okay, you came second. I mean, that's pretty good. I mean, you, you came, you're the second fastest guy in your age group for the 100 metres. And, and I said, how many people, you know, were in that final race? And he says, four people. I said, four people? So there were four people. They only had four people in the final for the 100 metres? Said, and I said, how many races were there before that? said, no, that was the only race. And I said, well, yeah, there was one race with four people in it. It was the 100 metres and you came second. I mean, surely there were more people in the 100 metres. So yeah, there were heaps of other races. I said, okay, did you get any other ribbons? He said, yeah, I got a participation award. I said, who else got the participation award? He said, everyone else. I'm thinking, we have, I mean, I get it. We want to uh, make everyone feel included. But everyone's got to find their field of expertise. You might not be a 100-metre sprinter. Maybe you're a debater. Maybe you play the trumpet, okay? Maybe you play soccer. Maybe you're really good at judo. Maybe you're a complete pervert and you're really good at judo because everyone knows you're only getting to judo but we're going to grab people's asses, you perverts. If you're, if you're listening tonight and you, and you play judo, you stay the hell away from my wife, okay? Um... Yeah, I know. I know that those dimly lit nightclubs are perfect for your judo practice, but don't you freaking even look at me, you pervert. Um, anyway, so I'm sorry. Don't know what came over me. They just blacked out. I got so angry. So everyone has their thing. You might be a debater. You might be a musician. Or you might be a sprinter. But not like you can't pretend that everyone's a sprinter. I know this guy's only seven years old. Okay, but a participation award. Is, is just so meaningless. I mean, 
if you if you don't have an if you don't incentivize achievement then people stop striving for it. People need pats on the back. We live off this stuff. People think that it's only for dogs, this whole, you know, you do a trick and then you get given a biscuit. It's a lot more complicated, but we live on the same basis as humans. You know, we might not be getting biscuits made out of dead horse, all right, um, from the hand of God, from the, from the hand of someone who decides whether we live or die after we break our legs. <laughs> that is, that's the life of a dog. You, you, you get a little injury like a, a broken leg or something. And the the vet goes, do you want to pay like 20 grand to have that fixed or should I just give them the green dream? You know, imagine if that was your existence. Uh, you know, it, you, you do a trick and you get given a biscuit and you go, actually, sorry, I just pulled something doing that trick. As you get sort of chewing the biscuit, you go, mm, sorry, back's a bit sore. And, and then the next day you just jabbed in the neck and it's all over. Um, so luckily it's not completely analogous for us people, but... Um, nonetheless, it is a, a system of behavior that is rewarded. We m- generally continue to do, and behavior that is punished, we generally stop doing. Whether we consider it morally morally right or wrong, or in, in the general sense, we, we we stop it. So, I think if you're giving everyone an award for being a 100 meter sprinter, then no one people are going to stop training to be 100 meter sprint champions. And so, uh, I don't know what what age do people stop doing three cheers after a sporting match? In like. Here, look, here's cheers for BBC, hip hip, all right. Surely it's the first time when you just get sledged, like, proper. The first time someone learns to say the C word or something and you're just in a scrum, you're about 13 years old and, and, and one kid goes, you're a beeping beep. And you go, you've beeping what? What the beep did you say to me? And you're not going to be after the game going, here's cheers to BBC, hip hip. As soon as things get real... I reckon it happens as soon as you start noticing girls because that's when egos kick in. When, when, when you're like 12 years old, your balls haven't dropped, nothing really makes you that angry. But as soon as there's a girl within like 10 kilometers of that field, there's, some, there's more at stake. You get a bit more aggressive, not because you actually are aggressive, but because you think that people think that you need to look aggressive. And then the other person's doing the same thing. And it's just one big misunderstanding that everyone is more angry than they actually are. They just need a family mediator to show up on the rugby field in the middle of a scrum and go, you know, not, not that, I mean, if you watch international rugby, you'll be aware that they, they stop those scrums every 15 seconds anyway. But what if one time we just get a celebrity like appearance? Hey, so Dr. Phil is streaking on the rugby field. I, the, we have never seen this before. It's a rugby world cup final and Dr. Phil is butt naked running onto the field and he just breaks up the scrum and he goes, guys, how do you feel? And they go, I don't know. Like, I just want my dad to respect me. And and he says, well, how do you feel? Oh, I'm having some marriage problems. And it's like, so, guys, I mean, you're not angry at him because of what he did. You know, you're bringing your own baggage to this this rugby game. And you're bringing your own baggage to this rugby game. If you allow me to continue the heavy-handed metaphor, you got to wheel that luggage off this field. And you got to come back on here with only a light carry-on uh, backpack. Do you understand the metaphor? You know, you got to stop. Gwyneth Paltrow and, and Chris Martin uh, of Coldplay fame, they, they were an item. And so quite famously, they named their child uh, Apple. I'm not sure how Apple felt about being called Apple, but I don't think Apple had much of a say in it. So Chris 
and Gwyneth, they end up getting divorced, though. And Apple asked, you know, was it my fault? And Gwyneth and Chris promptly said, yes, it, it actually was. Um, we accept no blame for this. And they consciously uncoupled. Quite a modern, chic term for, for you know, breaking up without... Um, the restraining orders so they consciously uncoupled they held hands and went through all their belongings and said you can have this and i'll have that and they were holding hands and in fact as they consciously uncoupled they actually got back together the con- the conscious uncoupling went so well they got back together wouldn't that so wouldn't that be self-defeating let's break up but do it in a really positive way and then one of your happiest memories about being together is actually the breakup you, when you fondly remember the relationship, you go, wow, the breakup was just... He really showed his true colours. He showed how much he cared about me when we were breaking up and consciously uncoupling and as we went through our CD collection. And he, yeah, he left me like my favourite ones. That was a really nice touch. Yeah, I think we've got a, a, a really strong future now. It's it's almost like the, the Japanese thing they do where they have the divorce ceremony, which is a bit like a wedding ceremony, but a divorce. And you get all your family friends and your family and you get divorced in front of all of them and um and then it's sort of a bit like playground sport all your family and friends line up against the fence and you take turns picking one each and uh you can't talk to the other person anymore and you have to swear that you will bitch about the other person every time the friend who chose you um wants to and and sometimes it's really awkward because you line up all the friends and family and your wife takes like your dad as a first pick <laughs> it's my dad like you, you're bumping into your dad at the shopping center going dad dad i want to tell you about how, how i went at tennis and get nah sorry dude i pledge my allegiance to your ex-wife um against my will it sucks but we all know the rules and i'm not allowed to talk to you anymore dude in fact i'm just gonna next time i see her i'm gonna tell her that you're looking terrible so they consciously uncoupled but what the media didn't tell you was that apple when she turned 18 consciously uncoupled from her parents, Gwyneth and Chris. You know, imagine if you heard that song on the radio on the way to a funeral and then the whole time at the funeral, you just had that song stuck in your head. Like you're just watching like an old school friend get buried and you just got in the back and just incessantly on repeat in your head, baby, I'm a first class bitch, first class, baby, I'm a first class bitch. And and everyone around you is just crying. You're crying. You're crying. And you had that song stuck in your head. Because you, you can't ever choose... What what song is stuck in your head at any given moment? I had an experience just yesterday, which I'm surprised is the first time it's happened. Heard I was at uh, Newmarket Bocce Club, and I'm about the youngest there by about 30 years, or a lot of quite elderly uh, Italian men. And one of them was turning 65. It was his birthday. And I said, it's your birthday. And he said, yes, uh, 65. I got uh, 35 more years. And I said, don't say that, mate. We got kombucha now. We're going to live forever, all right? But you're going to live forever, mate, if you drink kombucha. And he said, ah, yes, kombucha. And I said, ah, oh, kombucha, you know it. Ah, yes, yes. My daughter, she works in kombucha. She works in kombucha. Which, well, there are many different brands. I mean, uh, who does she work for? She work in the hospital. And I said, oh, my days. They're giving this to patients in hospitals. People in hospitals are getting this stuff. Kombucha is some sort of remedy. For proper ailments, you lose a leg and they give you kombucha and they say, wait for it to grow back. I mean, what are they doing in there? He says, yes, uh, she uh, she is a doctor. They're doctors. So 
She's given kombucha out. She's a doctor. She's a uh, th- now that is unbelievable. And and he says yes. She also lived there too in kombucha. She lives in kombucha. So she's a. Oh, you mean kombucha? Yes, she worked at the kombucha hospital as a doctor. And <laughs> oh my god, this cannot be the first time that the, that the kombucha and kombucha mix-up has occurred um, in Brisbane. It, but yes, uh, he has a daughter who lives in Kabulcha, and I said, have you ever visited? And he said, no. And I said, I don't blame you, mate. Keith Urban's from there. I'd stay the hell away. Hello? Our next guest on Talking Dressage, ever since she was a young girl, dreamed of being interviewed on a popular and highly successful radio show. Unfortunately, that dream didn't come true, but she's here tonight on Talking Dressage. Please give a big warm welcome to Catherine Van Davies, star of Hungry Ghosts. And and this, this show is a little bit different to what Australians are probably used to on television. Uh, there's a bit of a spiritual element. You know, if, if people who watch Neighbours and shows like that, probably the most spiritual that show ever got was um, uh, the character Toadie resembling Buddha at times. But is this a, the, a bit of the influence of Vietnamese storytelling in, in Hungry Ghosts? Yeah, there is. There's a lot of, you know, Vietnamese um, kind of folklore mythology. The, the Month of the Hungry Ghost is, is widely celebrated throughout um, Southeast Asia. It's a Buddhist tradition primarily, um, which is actually starting next week. So it's, this is really going to gear people up to kind of view the next, um, the next month in a very particular way. Um, right. Shameless cross-promotion <laughs> of Vietnamese um, traditions. I understand SBS does have news. I reckon cut all the funding for the news, because ABC does the news. And let's be honest, ever since Lee Lin Chin left SBS World News, it's like Guns N' Roses without Slash, all right? And, <laughs> and, and I've watched SBS World News before, and I think 95% of it is just the weather in each capital city and principality all over the world. You know, there's a lot of cities. I mean, we can just Google it. If we want to know the weather in, in uh, Monaco, we can just Google it. So, Catherine, <laughs> how about and a bit of advocacy to move all the, fu- all the news funding into uh, drama? And comedy yeah i just i just feel like you know um generally australian content doesn't get anywhere near as en- enough airtime or or funding and certainly recognizing the various broadcasters we have you know sbs being so great at um showing you know oftentimes new genres and and different ways of telling australian stories that um aren't necessarily on on the free-to-air channels um but I just think bring on more Australian content. We have so many exciting stories. There's so we have so many more stories that we need to tell. Um, we certainly wouldn't run out of content. That's for sure. You know, I always want to give audiences um, credit to, to be able to receive stories that they may not know. I think there's a place for, for soapies. I think that they are a, a legit, legitimate form of storytelling. You just don't want it to be the only kind. Yes, I've read that. So, in European cinema, as opposed to like Hollywood cinema, they 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 get a lot more um, public funding, so they're less reliant on you know a p- mass appeal, and that's why European cinema you often get films that don't really have endings or beginnings, and and why you see lots a lot of penis um, because they don't have to appeal to a lot of people. Um, I mean, Hungry Ghost follows four four storylines that kind of briefly intersect through my character, but. You know, that, while that seems kind of confusing on paper, and I'm sure at times watching it, you're going, oh, hang on, which family is part of which family? But that, yes. the joy of working that out is actually part of the viewing pleasure. So where, where does four-part miniseries end and just really long film um, begin? 
Look, it, it, I, I've got to say, it is a very bingeable series. I watched it all in one sitting, and yes. but I was completely absorbed in it and, and watched it very easily in a, in a four-hour setting. Yes, I, I, and I, I do very much sympathise with you. I, I voraciously listen to my own radio program, and yeah, it's, it is absorbing and sometimes <laughs> a little bit arousing. Um, but, you know, I, I, I watched Gone with the Wind the other day, and that has an intermission at the beginning. It was something like, yeah, it was like a four-hour ordeal. Mm. Um, yeah, I watched it unedited as well. So I, I, yeah. I, you know, there was a warning at the beginning, but I still walked away feeling pretty racist and somehow inspired <laughs> to do a school shooting. Um <laughs> Do actors take, like, tablets that um, stop them from needing to go to the bathroom? <laughs> no, no. And you'll probably hear lots of um, hilarious undergrad stories about um, particular situations that they find themselves in. But it's very much, like, it's often tradition before you before you go on stage, make sure you've done that final bathroom call. Um, yes. And then you've got, to, you've got to hope that your mind is distracted enough when you're on stage. Yeah, absolutely. Because you don't want to be too dehydrated. That's the other thing. Yeah, because your your voice gets dry. But you know, I, I do agree. If you're so absorbed in a character, you will forget about your faculties. A little bit like those those guys in some parts of uh, South Korea that play so many video games for so many hours that they forget to eat and go to the bathroom, and that they sometimes have young infant children. Um, so <laughs> I have a bone to pick with you, Catherine. This is very mm-hmm. serious, right? Yeah. Now I understand I'm here for in, it. in the, the late 2000s you starred in a film. That was based in Brisbane. We're all very excited to have a big budget film based in Brisbane. And it was called All My Friends Are Leaving Brisbane. Now, do you or do you not agree that this is anti-Brisbane propaganda? <laughs> well, um, yeah, and I played a really pivotal role. Um, many would remember me as a wedding guest. Um, <laughs> oh, <laughs> surely they gave you a really name. Big impact. <laughs> I was a wedding guest. Ah. <laughs> Surely you can um, give it a name. Like, you can tell your friends and family. The the, the wedding guest's name was actually Louisa. And um, yes. she was a very troubled character. You don't really see it in the film, but she's, yeah, she grapples with a lot of inner demons. Oh, we, we build backstories, don't you worry. <laughs> Louisa had a lot going on that day. Um, but that's, I mean, that film was gorgeous. And, and I, it, I mean, it's very long ago now, so I, you know, kind of, I can remember being on set, but I'm grappling to, to piece the story together. And it's true, everyone leaves Brisbane. I know. It's loosely based on the lives of every person in their mid-twenties in Brisbane. True. But it was it's a, so true. It was a real kick in the guts, though, because not, not many big films are set in Brisbane, and then they finally make one, and it's about everyone leaving Brisbane. It's a little bit like being, being in high school and finally getting invited to a party. And then you show up at the party with your hair all gelled, and then you just get wedgied by all the jerks in front of the girls. <laughs> <laughs> well, you'd be very pleased to know that, you know, here in Sydney, like, as soon as someone says they're from Brisbane, it, it forms this little kind of Brisbane contingent. Everyone's like, oh, cool, yeah, I'm from Brisbane. And there are a lot of people from Brisbane. So rather than thinking of it as people leaving Brisbane, it's just an expansion of Brisbane. Right, we're taking Brisbane with us. Storytelling is such a powerful interaction and actually receiving a story amongst a group of people, um, no matter what the size is, is an invaluable experience. Kind of positive look at a slightly bleak situation. But, but what, what about... So that, that's great for actors who get paid, but what about all the failed actors? Their lifeblood, the flash mob. What is the future of the flash mob? <laughs> <laughs> what are all these washed-up actors going to do? <laughs> Just keep your flash mobs outdoors. <laughs> yeah, well, that, that, that is funny because where does supermarket shopping end and flash mob begin? Mm. What if you said a guy in the dairy aisle is going, sha-la-la-la-la, you know? Yeah, also you can just keep your flash mobs to the sporting arenas and you'll be absolutely fine. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, 
This is South East Queensland's most controversial dressage-related radio show. And so I'm going to say something quite controversial now. And that is that mm-hmm. young actors who do not have health issues have probably suffered more already through these lockdowns than if they actually just got this virus. And so therefore... I mean, you know, by losing their work and, and their livelihoods and their, their not being able to do the things that they're passionate about, do you think that once life does return to some sort of normality, that is the civic duty of all people who are elderly or who have underlying health issues to support theatre and go to see theatre? And maybe should pensioner um, ticket prices or concession card holder ticket prices be twice the price? This suggestion is so diabolical. I don't know what to do with it. <laughs> Um, um, you know, the, 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 the reality is some of the greatest supporters are of an older demographic to theatre. So I, w- I would reduce the cost of their tickets and help the young folk. It's like, we just, we'll just keep on keeping on, hey? Uh-huh. I see what you mean. Lower the ticket prices, but then once they're in, charge like $25 for a light beer. <laughs> what are those ice creams that they have at the movies where it's like they don't melt? The Chuck Tops. Oh, five dollar oh. ticket to come into the cinema. Oh, you want a chalk top? Thirty dollars. You need yeah, to get a payday totally. loan for a chalk top. <laughs> we d- uh, yeah, yeah. That's uh, now I feel like a chalk top. Chalk top. Uh-huh. as How's you that? say, act- actors are very creative, and they will find a solution. <laughs> we will. Oh, that we or they'll make flash will. mobs everywhere, and and they'll be on every street corner. They'll be blocking train station entrances with their flash mobs, dancing a scene from Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, and we'll just we'll just have to write to our local members saying, "Please, give these guys a job." I think you know, when people do business degrees and they end up working in a call centre, that's the equivalent of someone who goes to NIDA to acting school and then ends up in a flash mob. Well, I went to business. I did a business, started a business degree, and then ended up as an actor. So, how, how's that for the me? Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> so there are some people out there who dreamed of being in a flash mob, and now it's like I'm a CEO of a company. Yeah, what the hell? I'm at the top of the pay chain. <laughs> what the hell? Um, <laughs> but yeah, it, it is true. All the world's a stage. Um, buskers will certainly uh, prove that. Um, People should be paid properly. That is, you know. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to be guilt tripped into into paying for flash mobs. It'll be like when you when you finish one of those European um, city tours. And I say it's a free tour, but it's going to show you around Venice. And at the end, they go, um, "It's got a hat here." And we've got a few bodyguards just who's now encased you in a circle. So, you know, if, if you want to give money, um, that's okay. If you don't want to give money, that's also okay. You'll just be beaten with sticks. Support our Aussie flash mobs. That should be the new campaign. Like, not like forget. let's forget about the farmers. They've had their time in the sun, like literally and figuratively. They're incredibly sunburnt, and we've raised a lot of money for them. And let's support our Aussie flash mobs. Uh, unemployed people. In fact, there are so many unemployed people in Australia right now. The most record numbers, I believe. So many unemployed people. We should start a union. We have serious power at the moment. There are so many unemployed people in Australia right now that if we made a union, we'd be the most powerful union in the country. In fact, we could just say it at any of our next interviews, you don't just hire me. You hire all of us. I mean, I've been going to this... I came out of nowhere. I'd never been to this cafe before. I found it. I liked it. And I've gone pretty much every weekday for the last three weeks. And he doesn't know this, but tomorrow is going to be my last day visiting that cafe. And he's going to be confused. He's going to, he's going to be about two weeks from now. He's going to realize that he hasn't seen me for two weeks and go, what happened to him? Was it something I said? Oh, maybe it was that time when I got angry at him. 
and maybe he'll pause and reflect. But it, no, I, I'm not here to teach lessons. It's just I'm I'm gonna pick up my swag and go to the next the next one. It's sort of like I've come into this small Mexican village as an American cowboy. I've slept with all the Mexican women. It's now time to go to the next Mexican village. And that's an analogy. The Mexican women were the, were the coffees, and um, the American cowboy is is a, is a metaphor for me, unemployed guy. Uh, there's very little difference. You just sort of walk around all day uh, trying to look sexy, leaning against things, and it's really dusty out there, guys. You, you, you have jobs. You're inside. You don't understand. There's a lot of construction going on in Brisbane. It's dusty out there. So very similar professions, the um, American desert cowboy and the unemployed Brisbane man. But yes, I did turn to a life of crime, um, and and I guess I, for lack of a better word, jaywalked. There were no cars coming, honestly. There were no cars coming, and uh, out of nowhere, I, I hear a, a police siren. And I'm walking down the street, and I go, oh, the riffraff in the valley, or oh, our taxpayers' money spent on keeping these guys under control. And I notice the siren is uh, uh, getting a little bit closer, and there is... Uh, a police motor, uh, policeman on a motorbike and he points at me and luckily this is not the USA this is Australia so we just point fingers cops just point fingers and that, and that is enough you know Aust- Australians we are very obedient we just see a finger getting pointed at us and, and we go whoa whoa point your magic finger at me you know it's not a gun we, but we, we put our hands up alright and you're like oh hey hey drop those fingers right now Put those fingers on the ground and take three steps backwards. And then, yeah, they got you doing yoga. And so he, he said, ha ha, you thought you'd get away with that. You jaywalked right in front of me. And I said, look, no offense, sir, but I, you know, I didn't see you. Like, um, out of nowhere, it becomes this, who I presume is a vagrant man. He, he, had, he, had a, he was carrying a sleeping bag and he kind of looked like he was carrying everything he owned. And, um, and not that this is really relevant to the story, but as a piece of trivia, Curiously, he was missing one nostril. He had one, like on one side of his nose, uh, the nostril was missing. And uh, so he showed up and he sort of accused the police of being corrupt or something like that. He said, look, I, I, you, you and four other police officers, I've seen you jaywalking. And the, the police officer said, get away, sir. Step back. And he said, no, I've seen you guys jaywalking before. And I said, look, Brett, I, I appreciate it, mate. But uh, I got this and I thought that Brett was actually indirectly doing me a massive favour by seeming more crazy than me. And if I could sort of be on the, the cop side saying, look, Brett, just settle down, settle down, mate, then maybe he might not give me a ticket. Didn't quite work. I nonetheless still appreciated Brett's input there. So he said, get away. And then and then, he, so he eventually says, look, show me your licence. And, you know, I haven't updated my... I've m- moved house twice since I've updated my licence. So he's saying, look, now your, your address is wrong. I could give you a $133 fine for not updating your address. And I, and I said, oh, look, you know, I don't have a car. Was it, he said, were you going to work? I said, no, I don't have a job. And so now I'm telling him, look, oh, I don't have a car, I don't have a job. My fine just went off. Oh, my wife just texted me. She's divorcing me. So how much was that jaywalking fine, sir? But So he says, look, I'm not going to give you... That I'm not going to give you the, uh, the fine for not updating your address on your, on your licence, but I'll give you the fine for jaywalking. And, and it's, it's weird how you, you, you cross a road where there are no cars coming... You get fined fifty three bucks, and then you, and then like a little bitch at the end of this whole interaction, I'm going, oh yes, thank you, sir, thank you, sir. Yep, uh, you, you're gonna you're gonna email me the fine. Yep. Okay, thank you, thank you very much. It's like a little bitch I am, but um, fifty three dollars 
is a pretty cheap fine. It's pretty affordable. I think if you're going to get any fine, 53 bucks, and, and if you're going to get a story out of it, like that, that day I, got, I, I met a mate for lunch and I got to tell him how I got the, uh, the jaywalking fine, never had a jaywalking fine before. And so I, these, these days, with how boring the lockdowns are, I would almost pay $53 just to have something to talk about that isn't coronavirus. And so I, I was quite happy with the... Tra- I'll call it a transaction. I won't call it a fine. I'll call it a transaction because, you know, I got a story in exchange for... And, and, a, and a little memento, a bit, of, a bit of paper as well with the fine on it. So, cheap fine and a three-day growth as the great cold chisel song. It was a very cheap fine. And it, I got to 53 bucks. It costs just as much to jaywalk across the go-between bridge as it does to lawfully drive across it. In fact, I think you, even, you might even save money get, jaywalking across it and getting caught. But uh, yes, um, I think there's a there's actually a deal if you if you jaywalk across two streets. I think they'll just round it down to a hundred bucks. So look, that's all I'm saying. It's a deal. It's a deal. I think that they have gift cards as well. If you're looking this Christmas, yeah, like a little bitch. It's like thank you, sir. But then um, the guy with the who was missing one of the nostrils, he 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 comes after me. Hey hey mate mate, and I go, oh god, is he is he coming to attack me because I didn't exactly say thank you for him standing up for me I just said look mate I appreciate it settle down settle down and he says look my name's Brett and he gave me his number and he said look I'll stand up in court for you I saw what happened back there I'll stand up in court for you and I said look mate you win some you lose some I lost this one I'm, I'm happy just to take it and but I, I appreciate it mate and um and then he gets called back by the cop you know he doesn't listen and then what does he do right in front of me right in front of the police officer he's just given me a jaywalking fine. He flipping jaywalks across the road. These cars have to slow down for him. And and then the siren on the police bike just starts up again. And I go, this is just pure chaos. And I, I walk up to get my coffee. And I do not turn around. And he was having a normal day. He could have just walked on by and just had a giggle at some bloke um, getting a, a jaywalking fine um, for crossing a street where there were literally no cars coming. But he decided that he was going to go down with me. In fact, I think he went down even harder than I did. And so I, I, w- I want to thank you for, for that, sh- that show of solidarity. I didn't say thank you on the day, but um, yeah, better late than never. It, it reminded me of a, a time when I was at the Pig and Whistle in the city and I had a friend whose brother was in the army and I'm not sure if it was PTSD or something like that, but he often got into fights. I think he just thought after a couple of beers, you know how some blokes, they drink beers and then women who aren't very attractive start to resemble Elle McPherson in the 90s. Well, this guy would have a couple of beers and then Elle McPherson would resemble a member of Al-Qaeda and he'd want to fight them. Like, he he would just want to f- fight anyone. His beer goggles made everyone look like a member of Al-Qaeda. And so there was this fight at the front of uh, Ping and Whistle, him and his brothers and then these other random guys. And then the police showed up to break it up. And the police are a bit rough, you know. They're pulling people off each other. They're slamming them on the ground. When the, the heat all died down and everyone sort of got released and said, look, just get out of here. There was one bloke getting handcuffed because he tried to fight the cop. He said, I'm not going down lightly on this matter. And he decided he would fight back against the cop who was wrestling him to the ground. The blokes who just fought each other said, look, do you know him? And we said, no, no, he's, he's, he's not our mate. And they said, well, he's, he's not our mate. <laughs> this bloke was walking down the street, saw police breaking up a fight, and maybe he was just enjoying the fight. Maybe he can't afford pay-per-view and watch Jeff Horn versus Sue on, on the telly. 
And so he was like, don't break up the fight. I was enjoying that. He was a, he was a proper neutral. And so he's gone in to, to fight a cop. And he wasn't even involved in the fight, and he's and he's the only one who got put in the back of the paddy wagon. Some bloke who was just walking down the street, and that's an act of solidarity. Pain, a pain shared is a pain halved, as they say. Small business. If you th- ever look at yourself in the mirror and you go, "Christ, I've got way too much hair. What, what am I? What, what am I going to do with this all? Going to have to get it cut." Spend money on shampoo. It's time-consuming. It's costly. What the hell am I going to do with all this hair? I got one piece of advice for you, and that is start a small business, my good man. Wait and just watch all that hair fall out. You will have a nice shiny cranium that you can grease up with butter, and then people passing you on the train from carriage to carriage can stop and admire their reflection in your crowning glory, um, which is your actual crown because it's gloriously bald from stress all the different taxes and levies you have to abide by, your licenses, your restrictions, the impending council fines. I I am convinced that to work at a local council, you have to have been, like, kicked out of a bar before. It was your 18th birthday. You were so excited to go to that nightclub in the valley. You showed up wearing Birkenstocks. And they said, sorry, mate, wrong shoes. Have to come back another time. And you swore that you would not rest until every bar and nightclub in this city was shut down. And then you got that great job at local council. Uh, I understand that flip phones are uh, coming back into fashion what it's about is is finding a nice happy medium between something that's functional but not uh, so futuristic and modern. We need something that's a bit more aesthetic than function. A little bit like um, if you go full function in clothing, you get those shirts that have like 17 pockets. There's like a pocket on the elbow, a pocket on the underarm. It's like, who? I mean, <laughs> who has that many affairs that they need 17 different pockets to put their different phones in if so i mean it's like a paradox if you had a shirt that could fit 17 different cell phones so you could run 16 affairs uh and then you want one's your home girl um then you wouldn't be having 17 there's no way you could possibly have 17 affairs because you, you you're wearing clothing that's too functional it's not aesthetic enough all right the coolest clothing in the world has like one pocket like a pant with like one pocket like at the front and you just put your phone in front of your genitals. And um, and yeah, it's a statement. Anyway, so the flip phones are coming back. It's all about aesthetic. It's about flipping it up. It's about ending a phone call in the most emphatic way possible. You go, and you can keep the little boy. And, and, and then just as they say, hey, it's your son, you just hang up and then you just snap it shut. Done. Sorted. And, and, and there's a sound effect. But what if we regress too far? If we're, if we're, if we're like smartphone now, iPhone like 13, and, we, and we're going back to, to flip phone, what if we go back a little bit further, maybe 10 years earlier, where no one has phones again? And, and we're going to have cool people with like mohawks chilling by like skate parks and going, look at this guy over here, he's got like a phone. What does he even need that for? What, is he got like shares or something? Like, what is he checking the news on there? Like, has he got alarms? And all of a sudden you're getting laughed out of skate parks. So everything was going really well the other night and I was sitting there at Friday's and I saw a girl who seemed uh, quite familiar. Um, it's a little bit like when you hear a song on the radio and you go, oh, I love this song. And it's like, wait, is this song just familiar or do I love it? But I saw a girl and I said, I, I recognize this girl. 
And I was just sort of staring at her for long enough that eventually she turned around and saw me and said, Oh, hello! And I promptly rose and said, Hello! And so we went over and we um, gave a bit of a cuddle, started talking, what's going on? And then right on cue, after a couple of minutes, bounce, big, bounce, big belly bouncer come up, comes up. He says, Hey, look, look, look here, guys. You know, you know the rules. Back to your chairs. Um, and I said, Okay, thank you very much, sir. We'll head straight there. Anyway, just you are incredibly cute and I would uh, love to catch up again soon um, if you want to get a coffee or something and the lady uh, promptly replied um, I have a boyfriend and I thought he was one of your friends I was like well who, who is the boyfriend he goes Luke Callahan and I said oh my days I, I forgot where I knew this girl from and she's my mate's girlfriend and I accidentally asked her out and I said, look, whatever you do, have a great night. But please, can you not tell Luke Callahan about what happened? I haven't seen Luke Callahan since. And if he's listening, um, and if he's outside my, my house right now, uh, wondering where I am, I just want to say to him, I, look, I forgot where I knew this girl from. But also, I saw one of our mutual friends the other day. And he, the first thing he said was, I heard you asked Luke Callahan's girlfriend out. Um, it's not what it looks like, okay? I'm just a pickup artiste, an artisan pickup artiste a chinese mechanic called steve and uh he's called mechanic steve and he uploads videos to facebook on pretty much a daily basis of him just oiling up different engines and he's oiling up machines and it'll have an inspirational quote at the top saying you know every every day of your life is a dream do not wait for dreams to come true um hard work is and and a lot of stuff about like enjoying hard work and um but unfortunately uh facebook has a translate option and these messages of you know these poisonous messages of work hard um it's good for you um is also reaching western audiences after he he's he's greasing up all these engines then afterwards he says it's a hard day's work and he has a chinese beer but before he drinks the beer he does something quite curious that really got uh, keyboards racing on the internet. In fact, Mechanic Steve arguably broke the internet, um, not through a sex tape. He does have one, but didn't, didn't uh, sent ripples at best. Um, it was very oily indeed. <laughs> um, but uh, so he oils up this engine, and then he cracks open a beer. Um, and then he pours a little bit of the beer out first and then he drinks the beer. And the, obviously all the comments in to the, the video were, what is the significance of this, Mechanic Steve? Please answer. And it is apparently because it's a tribute to all your fallen friends or uh, loved ones who, who have predeceased you. And I mean, if you tip out a little bit of your beer before you drink it, then you honour them. It's for them. It's for your homies. One for me, one for my homies. And, um, you know, uh, with the rising pr- cost of uh, beer, I wouldn't tip out too much but just enough um i wonder what is the minimum amount that you need to tip out in order for it to be a tribute i mean if you just drop the drop you would be a little bit offensive it's like oh is that all we're worth like we, we were your loved ones and we're just worth a drop of forex gold i mean i suppose the cheaper the beer the more you have to pour out in fact the cheaper the beer the probably the more you want to pour out i mean if you've got a hammer and tong i'll be like well <laughs> thanks for this um uh father-in-law um thanks for the hammer and tong um, i just one for my homies though first and then you just tip the whole thing out and you go oh <laughs> give me can i have another one? Oh, on the floor again um, 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 and so I, I was walking through the valley and I, was, I saw just that. I saw a man going through a bin, uh, picking out cigarette butts. This is, this, is, this is sort of behavior that I have seen quite some time around the city. But we live in different times. Any person who is looking for a job at the moment is entitled 
to $1,217 a fortnight, all right? I'm living off that. I'm paying my rent in, in, in an uh, apartment in Spring Hill, all right? I'm going to restaurants. I'm going to bars. And that's covering everything. And I'm seeing a guy picking cigarette butts out of bins. And I'm, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, mate, you're on what I'm on, okay? We don't need to do that anymore. Is it through force of habit? Uh, were they used to, oh, we used to not get much money and so I had to find cigarettes in bins. Like, um, how many cigarettes are you smoking a week? Um, just ration them. I mean, uh, we don't need to pick cigarette, bin, cigarette butts out of bins anymore. I mean, uh, honestly, if you um, are in the profession of dealing drugs, are, uh, is, there, is this an, a boom time? A lot of people cashed up. They don't know what to do. Cashed up and bored. Surely that is the two-step plan for developing a drug addiction or strengthening one's drug addiction. Um, so uh, if you're a known drug dealer, just message in with your full name and, and let me know uh, how the market's going. Getting cigarette butts out of bins. It's, it's not a good look. You're not going to get laid doing that. If you're listening to this show, for starters, you can afford a radio or a cell phone or, or if this is your car radio, if you're listening on your car radio right now and you're one of those people who fishes cigarette butts out of bins, come on, sell the car and buy cigarettes with the car money. It's not it's not a particularly good look. Um, but as I say, I don't know how long I'm going to be, I'm going to be unemployed for, so I might be eating my words and I might be eating you cigarette butts too if, if, if things keep going the way they're going. Um, welcome to Talking Dressage, the show where you text in how much money you need and then we send it to you in a big giant check and it's presented to you um, by uh, someone from Talking Dressage in a random animal uh, onesie, like a, like a shark onesie and then you pay off your car and everything's great for about 12 years. And then one morning, you're putting the kids in the car, you're getting ready for school sport, and a guy uh, from Talking Dressage in an animal onesie, which looks like a shark, suddenly shows up. He, he says, pay up! The money wasn't a gift, it wasn't a prize, it was a loan. I'm a loan shark. I'm a loan shark onesie. And then the kids are still in the car... The loan shark is taking the car. The kids are still in the back. He says the kids lessen the value of the car. So now you owe him more money. He's taking the car. He's taking the kids and you owe him more money than you already did. Welcome to Talking Dressage. So I hit Nick Rios. Nick Rios has pulled out of the US Open. He says it is irresponsible for the event to be going ahead because of coronavirus. But I'm, I'm sure that when the event is on and... You know, if we all get a bit of a chant going saying, come on, Nick, come back, maybe he'll say, oh, okay, you guys, and he'll come back and he'll uh, play a match and lose six love, six love, six love, and break a racket over a grandma's head just to prove a point. Um, So looking forward to the US Open. But how are we going with the the 20 days of AFL in a row? Remember, like we were actually going to watch... AFL matches 20 days in a row. If you... An AFL game seems to go for about four hours. So if you're going to do that 20 days in a row, that's something in the realm of like 80 hours. 
80 hours, you, you could learn a language in that time. If you, instead of watching AFL, learned a language, I mean, come on. I mean, there, I know people who go to the gym like every day and that process of, you know, at least getting ready to go to the gym and then going to the gym and then coming back and taking your supplements and your smoothies and um, your, your mirror selfies, that's a process that must take at least two hours on a daily basis. If you use those two hours daily to do something like a, a hobby or a passion or even like upskill. I mean, you, you could almost do another degree. You could be studying part-time with the amount of time that you dedicate to the gym. And so why don't you just forget about the whole thing, just inject yourself with steroids and then study part-time. And no matter how dumb people you think you are for doing steroids and how much they judge you for doing steroids, you just say, well, I just got a psychology degree online. And they go, oh, well, it all balances out, it all comes out in the wash. 